Welcome to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Connie Thiessen. Over the last number of years, RTDNA Canada's membership had dwindled to just over 100 members as newsrooms tighten budgets and freeze travel for news directors. However, under the leadership of current President Liz Travers, numbers have rebounded over the last few months as the association looks to evolve with the industry. Travers joins us on this episode to talk about the RTDNA's aggressive membership drive and new board of directors, in addition to why she feels we need to spend more time celebrating industry wins rather than focusing on the challenges. My name is Liz Travers and I'm president of RTDNA Canada. It's a position that I've held since uh, last year and I've been a member for many many years of this organization. I started out in journalism well it was actually a choice between psychiatry and journalism and so I went the journalism route but I've found that a lot of the interests as a psychiatrist or psychologist or a therapist have come in very useful throughout my career. I've worked at CTV, I've worked at CBC, I've worked at Global, and I've worked with some incredible individuals, which is why I decided to uh, become part of RTDNA. I've watched broadcasts from from the time that using the old typewriters and computers were such a really cool thing, which essentially means I'm getting, you know, I'm pretty old. But I've watched all these developments, and I've watched how storytelling has just improved and tools have improved and so many things. There's so many positive things about journalism and I can't imagine being in any other career than this one. So I started off at, at CFCF in Montreal. It was known as Pulse News. That was my first job. And from there, I, I always knew, even from Carleton, I'm a graduate of Carleton University, and I knew even at that time, not that I wanted to go into television, but I liked organizing things. I liked being in control, which is kind of funny to end up in a business that puts you in the control room. That was my first job. And from there, I mean, I got I got some incredible practice writing early, early morning radio, which which really helped me all the way. And then um, I, I continued on there for 12 years, met my husband at CFCF and then moved on to CBC. And uh, that was another incredible learning experience to see how a different way of operating and a different way of, of doing things in Montreal, which was a relatively small group at that time. And so I, I gained so much experience from them and learned, you know, learned more. And then Global came calling because they wanted to start a news operation in uh, Quebec. And that, to me, remains one of the most thrilling experiences of my life because we really put together an entire team in 10 weeks. Started on July 1st, a holiday, and we were on the air September 15th. And I was employee number six, I believe, or maybe number seven. It was such an experience. That startup was such an experience, and we're still very close today. Many of the people that I worked with at that time. Working as a startup is just something, I love it. Most people hate it, but I love it. I've done four or five startups in my career, and I think it's such an incredible opportunity. If anyone has a chance to do it, 
be there at the ground level. Just it's so creative. It's so collaborative. And the last one I did was, which unfortunately was a, a failed experiment on the part of uh, our American counterparts was, um, was Quibi. And so we started Quibi in Canada and working with, I, I called myself a post-millennial at that time because the average age of the staff was, was 25. But again, it was a wonderful experience just to try out new technologies, try out a different way of storytelling. Because at the end of the day, I feel like it's still whatever is going on in the world, whatever is going on in our industry, and it's certainly challenged, but it's still all about the storytelling. You know as well as anyone, Liz, that every media organization in the country has been adapting to the evolving news delivery model. And so it's not a surprise that RTNDA is also evolving. I want to start by talking about the organization that you inherited when you became president of the association. Well, I've been part of the association in one way or another from the time that I was in Montreal. I knew what the challenges were. I knew it at the best of times in some ways when when the coffers were quite full and starting out it was it was a great exchange of training of best practices and the conferences were really well attended you know and that's because at the end of the day you know companies could afford to send their employees there to send newsroom managers there by the time i got here now today there there aren't nearly as many newsroom managers there are Travel budgets tend to be uh, frozen. You just sort of assume that they're frozen most of the time, or they have been for for quite a few years. So it's it's a different kind of organization. It's not just for news managers. It's for all journalists. And I felt that it was time for me to do this because having had a lot of the leadership experience that I had, I recognized what was missing. I recognized that that in shrinking budgets and shrinking staff, some of the things that were lost were training opportunities, were mentoring opportunities. And I felt that it was time for us as an organization to really step in. I felt like, how can we help? And that was one of the first things I did was contact some of the, the news directors and news managers and said, what, what can we do? What can we do? Knowing that we don't have money to put in, but what, how can we use our expertise to help? Membership had reached a bit of a low point up until very recently. How much of that do you think had to do with the climate for broadcast journalism? Absolutely. There's two things. Like if you're going to join an organization, you have to provide value. What is the value? And in years past, and I'm no different, my company would always pay for the membership. So the memberships were not terribly expensive, you know, but what am I getting for that membership? If the only thing that I'm getting is maybe a discount on the national conference and, you know, I'm, my ability to submit an award, if that's the only thing I'm getting, where is the incentive for people to join? So in meeting with, with the board, you know, we talked about different ways and how do we make it more accessible? How do we make people, uh, not make people, encourage people to join? And the first thing was providing value. I want to get back to the adding value part, but you've instigated a number of measures to boost membership, which have been very successful. In fact, a 438% increase over the last few months. Can you talk about that new structure in bringing new members in? 
Absolutely. This was a, a, a backyard discussion about how can we do this, and we talked about a number of models. And what we decided to do was to change the structure so that, well, I looked to see how much networks were spending, how much each of the stations were spending on membership. And when you looked at it, it, it worked out to be, if we could say, save them money, even if it's a few hundred dollars, whatever, if we could save them money and allow all their employees to join then we've got a great value prop. And every time that, that when I spoke with some of the, the larger organizations, because we had to start somewhere. So with the larger organizations, okay, it's going to cost you less money and all your members can take part. And so they were all really interested in how this could happen. Yes, they're not saving a ton of money, but at the same time, you know, money is money. And uh, it, it became a want, like, like an offer you couldn't refuse, to be honest. Like how how can you say no to something like that? So we started that way, and I could not be prouder. I had set a goal of of four hundred members by mid February, and we started off the year with one hundred and ten members. And by the end of January, I think we were already at 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 five hundred. And now, just today. We are now at, I believe it's uh, 743 members. So we're going to hit 1,000 by, by, by our conference for sure. Impressive. As you mentioned, the organization has probably been best known in recent years for its awards program. But do you want to talk more about the designs you have on expanding RTDNA initiatives, including a series of upcoming webinars? The National Conference and the gala is what we're known for and it will continue to be what we're known for the the conference committee puts together an amazing and an absolutely an amazing national conference and and the the thing that i hear the most because i've been an attendee for for many many years is that that people come to the conference they feel fueled they feel energized we spend so much time talking about the things that are wrong with our business and the things that are are the challenges of our business which is of course you know they they're there but there's also a lot of positive about our business you know and and so this year we're really trying to this year the the theme of the conference is innovate elevate celebrate and mapping the future of news there is a lot about our business to celebrate and you know, we we really want to look at that and and honor that. In terms of the awards, I mean, we are constantly changing the awards. For example, now many organizations have VJs, so now there is a VJ award, so we can level the playing field as well. And and giving new media and new tools the chance to uh, compete for for national recognition. And having just judged some of the awards, I I I, I love judging the awards. Just some of the content that's coming out of the country is just is just phenomenal. I'm very proud of that. You recently announced an expanded board of directors boosting its numbers to 28, about a dozen of those new to the board. I imagine like the rest of the industry, the RTDNA wouldn't be immune to struggling with a lack of diversity historically. Well, this year, I purposely went out to look for members that I wanted to have on the board so we could really represent the country. I mean, it always felt a little bit to me that how could we talk about diversity? And 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 I think it was in 2000, uh, 2010 or even earlier that RTDNA put out a diversity guidebook toolkit, I think it was called. And 
you know, it was, it was, it was positive and, and everything, but it really didn't make a difference yet. And so I thought we need to have a board that represents who we are. And so I went out to look for people or invite people. And I'm so lucky because I have had experience at many of the networks and smaller stations as well, you know, that, that I knew some of these people. And I said, I knew that they could be dynamic. I knew that they brought a lot to the table. And so I, and I didn't have to beg, but I asked, I asked them to, uh, to join the board. And then this, then it sort of snowballed a little bit. Like one person heard about one person being on the board and they said, I'd like to be involved too, or I'd like to help. And so at one point we got to 28 and I, and I'm thrilled. Like everybody has different, uh, brings something new to the table or brings their own ideas to the table. One of our board members had recommended or suggested a, a new award that recognized an emerging journalist. And, you know, it was a terrific idea and we're in the process of discussing criteria, but I'm hoping that that's something that's going to be announced a little bit uh, later this year. This year's RTDNA conference has been moved to the fall. Do you want to talk about early plans for that gathering? It's going to be at the Sheraton Centre in Toronto. One of the reasons, and, and you know, I would love to bring this conference right across the country the way we did before, but the reality is still that travel budgets are, are a little skinny. And so my hope is that there will be, you know, there will be meetings that will be had. Networks used to have their news director meetings in at the RTDNA conferences. I'm hoping that at some point we'll be able to return to that. And once that happens, then we can look at taking the conference on the road. But a lot of the sessions that we're talking about are things, uh, everything's about the takeaway, you know, so whether it's managing the, the hybrid newsroom or, you know, fact checking or the latest tech trends to help get the job done, uh, field safety is so important. These are some of the topics that we're going to be discussing, as well as some special events that are going to be held specifically for students. Do you have a closing thought you want to touch on, Liz? Well, I really, uh, I feel I didn't mention the webinars. That's one of that's one of our exciting uh, new programs that's coming up next month. We're going to be doing a series of four webinars. One is best practices for VJs, like how the tools that will help you get it done quickly. We're doing another session with a financial reporter who's going to be talking about some of the nuts and bolts, some of the bread and butter issues that everybody needs to know, both understand so they can help their audiences understand because of the times that we're in right now. So I'm really looking forward to that one. We're doing something on how to boost your climate reporting, particularly, you know, after two days after we're told that you better get it right in 10 years or else. And we're also going to have a, a seminar on making your writing more powerful. These webinars are going to be designed for emerging journalists as well as uh, long-term journalists who always, you know, we can all, all use tips and, and tricks and, and also for students. We really want students to, to benefit from this. The, the membership for students is free. Uh, if anyone listening knows a student or is a teacher, please encourage your class to, to sign up. I issued a little challenge to one of my friends in Montreal. I said, I, I dare you to sign up your entire class, you know, and she said, game on. So if anybody wants to take up the challenge, I'd be more than happy to, to, to hear that. I think at the end of the day, in terms of my last, my last words or, or my last thought, I, I feel like 
there's been so much time spent on things that are going wrong in the industry. I want people to believe that there will always be a need for journalists. There will always be a need for storytellers. There will always be a need to hold people to account. And where the industry is changing, it's the jobs that we're going to be doing a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, it's it's about the facts. It's about the stories that we tell and share. And, and that's that's the best part of our jobs. I think that's a good place to end on, Liz. I think one of the questions our listeners probably have is when do the first round of award winners this year get announced? We're going to be announcing the the local awards, the winners in each of the regions. The finalists will be announced in late May and the winners will be announced in early June. And the national winners, so the, the best of the regions, along with the best in network and the other categories, the national categories, that will be announced at the conference October 20th and 21st uh, at the Sheraton. Thanks so much for joining us, Liz. You're very welcome. My pleasure. listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.